Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, welcome to Life in the Pit. This is going to be uh, the first of a series of episodes that's a little bit unorthodox, and it's called Ask the Music Director. On various social media sites uh, recently, a few weeks ago, I asked uh, of all of you, what would you like to ask a music director? What would you like to know? And I got some responses. I got some responses from pit musicians. I got uh, responses uh, from people who act on stage and from people who just play music but are not involved in theater at all. And I got a total so far of, I believe, 14 questions. And I was able to find uh, six music directors across the country that were willing to answer these questions. And even considering that not every music director answered all 14 questions, but just some of them, when I started getting an idea of how this might lay out for an episode, I realized that if I was to do this episode justice and include uh, even most of the responses to all of the questions... Um, this would be by far the longest episode I've ever posted. I mean, we would be probably looking at at least a two-hour episode. So um, I'm going to split these questions up into parts. At this point, it looks like we're going to have uh, four segments of this, and they'll drop irregularly. So the first one is today. The second one uh, will probably be either next week or the week after that, uh, and then probably a couple more times in January in addition to the regular interviews that will resume soon. Now, what I'm going to do for this episode is I'm going to let all of my guests introduce themselves, uh, tell you a little bit about who they are, and then um, you will only hear from me again to ask the four questions that they have answered today, and then I'm going to let you hear their responses, and then uh, afterwards I'll, I'll just close out this episode, just tell you a little bit about what's coming up next and just keep in mind that for parts two parts three and four of this series uh there will not as be as long as long of an introduction those will probably be shorter episodes so uh if you want to know more about who these speakers are just come back to the first few minutes of part one uh so without further delay let me introduce my guest today Hi, my name is Brandon. I'm currently living in Boston, but I am from Chicago. Um, I tend to direct uh, community and school productions, um, even though I've played and have orchestrated and have worked on uh, anything up to regional theater, both in Chicago and in Boston. Uh, I've also worked on some things that have been uh, in the works in New York, so... Yeah, since uh, the pandemic, um, well, since the pandemic, I've been home writing, basically, um, doing a lot of copy work and the like. But yeah, um, right now I'm working on a couple of different musicals. One of them is been like a, like like a you know child of mine for about I don't know maybe few years at this point. I think I, I wrote that at the end of high school, and I've been going through college, just kind of like tweaking it here and there and i think now i'm gonna start to actually do something with it hi everybody my name is matthew croft i live in cleveland ohio Uh, i am a music director keyboardist and conductor Uh, i have 
toured with five national tours and conducted and music directed a show on Broadway. I am currently the associate conductor, keyboard two and Hammond B3 player on the Jesus Christ Superstar National Tour, which is on hiatus due to the pandemic. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back next fall for another year and a half on the road with our show. Hi, my name is Julie Danielson and I live in Kansas City. And I am the artistic director for Music Theater Kansas City. And when I music direct and conduct, it's usually with that organization. They have both a preparatory training program as well as a professional, um, a professional theater company as well called MTKC Pro. And um, we had a lot of shows scheduled this year. Some of them we were able to do. Um, a couple even this summer with just private audiences of parents um, before there were mask mandates and everything else. Uh, we did have to cancel our production of Something Rotten, which was going to be the Kansas City premiere. We were very excited about that one, but hopefully we get to do it this summer. Um, and right now I would be conducting the orchestra for A Christmas Story, which would also have been the Kansas City premiere of that musical, but we had to cancel it. Um, so that was... A bummer. Hopefully, maybe next year we'll get to do that fun musical. But anyway, that's what's going on here in Kansas City. Not a, not a lot of professional theater going, and just a couple of schools are doing things with masks, but not much else. Hi, this is Chris Tilly. I live in Greensboro, North Carolina. I have done pretty much every type of theater that I can think of. Uh, school productions, community theater, summer stock, summer rep, regional professional theater, uh, one tour, or maybe half of a tour. I didn't do the whole thing. Uh, and I worked a little bit in New York City. I've also done opera and ballet. Uh, most recently, I've been doing community theater here in the Greensboro area. When everything shut down in February, I had just opened a production of 9 to 5 at the Barn Dinner Theater. Most of the performances of that were canceled. And then several other shows at other theaters that I had lined up for the rest of the year were also canceled. My name is Marcy Shago. I live in Germantown, Maryland, and work as a music director and collaborative pianist in the D.C. metro area. I generally work with educational, community, and professional theaters. I also work with private and public schools to accompany their choir and instrumental events and festivals over the course of the year. When the pandemic struck, I had eight shows in production at different levels for the year and festivals and um, instrumental concerts planned out for the spring and the fall. Those all got canceled, as most have, and I've been generally making recordings for those people to use in their performances and rehearsals on Zoom. I also serve as the music director and board president of the Free Theater in Maryland, which is a student-led tuition-free company that puts on productions normally, but have been, in this fall, been doing a musical theater intensive where I'm training students how to do score reading and music directing as the students will be leading the music directing charge this spring in a production of Pippin. We're hoping to put that on as a live streamed performance in June, if at all possible. My name is Ron Murphy, and I am the resident music director at the Cumberland County Playhouse in Crossville, Tennessee. I've been working there since 2003, and we 
have live music. We usually have a band of about anywhere from eight to 11 players. And the pandemic really hit us hard. And we were able to do outside theater during the summer once we were able to open back up. But it's it's been tough. And hopefully next year will be better. Um, anyway, I'm glad to answer some of your questions. So question number one. Why do music directors often replace the indication of a vamp with a fixed number of repeats for the pit musicians? And let me just translate that before the answer. So as I mentioned in the episode about theater music terms, a vamp is simply an indication to play a, a, me- a measure or a number of measures until further notice, and you're just following the action on the stage. And so the question is, why do some music directors want to change the vamp to a fixed number in advance? Um, The reason I would put a fixed number instead of a vamp is mainly because something has already been like fixed to be a certain way. Like um, if we know, like if something's on a track, like if, if, if there's something that's not even uh you like not that humans aren't even touching like something's like you know robotic arm or whatever and we know it takes 30 seconds to get you know the arm you know like this robotic arm into place um you know that's something where i would be comfortable with saying we're only going to do this four times or if we know like if or if they're like a like a ton of vamps like let's say there are like four vamps on a, on the same page, right? Um, I might just go, we're going to do this first vamp eight times, no matter what, because that will give me enough time to see what's going on stage. And if after those eight times, or like once those eight times are like coming close to an end, if we need more time, then we go to the second vamp. Um, that's usually what I would that's usually where I would find uh, replacing vamps with a fixed number. Um, it will, it kind of simplifies and it complicates everything at the same time. Um, I don't do it often. I'll usually just say, Oh, let's just vamp on this until, in, until we need, I might cut and I might cut an entire vamp section out uh, instead of, you know, doing a fixed number of uh, repeats. During rehearsals with the cast, we sometimes discover that whatever is happening on stage during the vamp is consistently happening in a certain amount of time and, and I guess, needs to happen in that certain amount of time. So it's no longer an open-ended vamp. It's a set number of repeats. And then also not having to cue out of a vamp means there's one small thing less to worry about. I don't do that very often. I tend to say... This is a vamp, but it's probably only going to be two times or four times. But it's still a vamp, and I will cue out of it every time. I have to confess, I do not do that usually. I will sometimes tell them, uh, you know, if it's pretty consistent, I'll say, just so you know, it's usually two or three times. Um, But I almost always... Uh, just keep my hand up ready for it to be a vamp, even if it's always the same number, because you just never know. So that's not really a thing that I do. I think it's a vamp for a reason. So um, the more professional 
the group is, the more consistent you usually get with the number of repeats, I will say. But when you work with professionals, you also want to give them the courtesy of having some freedoms. I normally don't set a fixed number unless it's a very difficult jump and is something that it ne- the actor is like involved and needs to have like a set amount of time. But normally my musicians in the pit at the playhouse are really, they really watch me so well and I'm able to do a fist in the air to indicate last time through. And so it's, it's, I usually never set a fixed number unless it's very, very, very important. Or if the choreographer wants some sort of set number to make the counts work out. Question number two comes from somebody who plays in a band and is just interested in the process for playing in a theater pit. I find it almost impossible to keep four musicians in a group on the same page. How do you manage groups of people that are three, four, and five times as large? I think it's not so much what I'm doing as music director, but what the musicians are doing. Uh, Good pit musicians have some skills that other musicians may not ever have to develop. Unless you do a lot of accompanying or possibly if you're a church musician uh, in the pit, basically, you you have to listen, you have to watch the music director and adjust if needed while you're playing. I really see the, the pit as an accompaniment to what's happening on stage. And so it's all about the mindset of the people in the pit. They have to have that that way of thinking about music and having to adjust to the other things that are happening that they may not be able to see but the music director can. What I do is that I do a lot of score research. And when I do, I keep a log of any changes, key changes. Um, If there are like, I'll put in, I'll, I'll make a big list. And this is like something I print out for my band at the beginning of the first rehearsal. And what I'll do is like any like jumps out of vamps, I'll give the lyric that the um, actors are singing and also I will keep like any cuts in this sheet. I call it my cut sheet, but it has a lot more information in it. Um, things to watch out for, things to listen for on stage. And these are all things that I learned during the rehearsal process. So that helps. Having that cut sheet helps keep my musicians all together because they have something to listen for together. One thing that uh, one thing that really helps is I was always in, you know, you know, growing up through school and then, uh, later in college and in high school. And even, you know, even then, um, I was always in large ensembles. Um, I'm a string player, uh, kind of by trade string specialist, and I've played everything from, you know, being in the violin section or the viola section back to the bass section, um, all the way back to the percussion section and, one thing you have to, one thing that kind of helps me manage groups is first of all, if I can, if I can muster it, if I can do it, I hire people that I know, you know, that I know work well together or I know that are good. Um, not only just good musicians, but like, you know, tend to be on time, tend to, you know, not be, you know, lazy during rehearsal and the, and the like. Um, those are usually things that will slow down a rehearsal and slow down a production. Keep it simple. Um, I've found that you can spend, you know, a half an hour 
going through, you know, explaining, you know, what happens in a, a chorus line. That was one of the last shows I was working on. And I can tell you all the little things that happen in the score of, you know, oh, whenever you play this piccolo line or this flute line, that's always this character. So you should always do th- like you should you should just keep it simple. Just say, hey, whenever you have the piccolo, can that be really bright? You know, keep everyone, you know, you know, it, keep keep everyone kind of like engaged and, fo- and, and focused instead of just saying, hey, read one. I want you to do all of these these really specific things. That's the kind of that that takes up time and that takes up people's attention. You know, you'll have the you know, the bass player sitting in the back like I'm I'm just playing quarter notes. I don't have anything to do. This doesn't apply to me. And once you have, you know, once if you ever get the the extreme pleasure of working with any group over the size of like 10, you know, in community or school theater or even some regional theater. Um and of course Broadway will have, you know, Broadway and some tours will have, you know, small bands. But if you have a large group working with you, that's it's harder because then you have to make sure that everyone is on the same page but the big thing is even in even in that those groups are probably going to you know have orchestral experience so you know things like that you know it's 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 sometime it might it might even be a little easier to have more people and i don't know question three came from a pit musician what is more important chops or character I would say I'm going to take somebody who's a slightly less uh, talented player, but is a better person and a better person to be around, especially on the road over somebody who's an amazing player, but doesn't have a great attitude or personality. So I would almost lean a little bit on character. If it's a, if it's an even thing between people where they're both uh, great people and they're both good players then it might the edge might be on whomever is the better player. But if it's between somebody who's a great player, but not as great to work with, and somebody who's great to work with and not as great a player, I'd rather spend the time to get that person up to speed as to where I need them to be, as opposed to trying to get somebody who's a great player to play well with others. That's especially true and important, I think, on the road, on a touring show, as you spend so much of your time together in closed, tight spaces, traveling on buses or airplanes, in hotels. You have to be around these people a lot. And I've learned through some trial and error, through, you know, watching other people work and watching other people's decisions that the best groups on the road tend to be those groups that can spend time together outside of the orchestra pit and still enjoy one another's company while also playing really well. I have a couple of comments on that. Um, I lived in New York for seven years working as a Broadway musician, um, primarily known as a bass player when I was living in New York. And I had someone give me this really interesting piece of advice. They said, once you're working professionally in New York, especially in the Broadway circuit, you're really basically in the top 5% of musicians And so therefore, the difference between getting a 96 on your test and a 98 on your test is really minuscule. Um, So the by the time you get to that point, talent really isn't what gets you the job. It is character. It is um, being on time. It's doing what they ask of you. It's not showboating. Um, It's uh, being kind and being the person that they want to see in the green room before the show and um so I, I feel strongly um, 
that it's character. I mean, almost every gig I got in New York was from a reference or a referral, someone saying, oh, yeah, I worked with Julie. She'd be great. Um, I mean, very rarely do we get to audition. So it's definitely character for me. I don't have a definite one or the other answer to this. You have to be able to play the part or else you probably won't be hired again. But you can't be an asshole or else you probably won't be hired again. <laughs> character 100%. It is character then chops uh, in everything you do. So um, there are, I've, I have many, many stories. Um, not going to gossip because that's another thing that music directors should not do. Do not gossip. However, we've all encountered this. I have countless stories um, in all the different facets of music that I work in, not just theater, but also film and, uh, you know, just, you know, stand, you know, regular recording. So many people that are just not great that are awesome players, but I just don't want to hang around them. That's something that you always, that you also have to think about because it's not like you're in a recording studio all day. Well, at the very least, a lot of pits, you know, a lot, a lot of pits or a lot of, you know, theater isn't, you know, everyone's in an ISO booth in different parts of the theater and they're all, you know, wired in with headphones and, you know, uh, you know, conductor cam and no, a lot of it is even even still today, a lot of it is we're in a, you know, 20, 30 foot, you know, you know, by what, you know, you know, 20, 30 by 20 or 30 foot, you know, box, essentially, you know, really is a pit, you know, if you're sitting next to a trombone player that you just don't like or that no one can just get along with. And especially if that run is going to be for a significant amount of time. No way. Like, no way. No way. Like, that's just not going to end well. Even if they can, even if this person can play the entire book, like, just sight read it and, like, understand exactly what's going on. Like, it's not worth it. Um, that would be a last resort is to just hire someone because they got chops. Okay, the fourth and final question of this episode, it came from a drummer. But it really could apply to any pit musician. And the question is this. What can I do to make your job easier? As with any job, it's great to have someone who's on time, who comes in prepared and rehearsed, who comes in with an attitude of positivity and collaboration, and who's willing to be flexible in any pit, in any production, things can change on the fly. And sometimes you have to just go with it and be willing to work with whatever you're thrown from the stage. It's also great to have musicians come in for rehearsals that don't involve the instrumentation, just involve the vocals or the blocking or the choreo, so they can see what's happening on stage and what to expect when they can't see at that point during the performance. I especially appreciate a musician who understands what's going on elsewhere in the production and not just what's happening in the pit. It makes for a team effort and collaboration and communication is just um, an amazing thing. As a music director and a musician, I think the best thing that somebody can do in an orchestra pit to make my job easier on the podium is to show up prepared and to show up with a good attitude. 
Um, nothing makes a show harder to get through than when somebody shows up in a bad attitude and it affects their playing or shows up and isn't prepared. And then we have to try to salvage the show around them. Um, if you can show up having done the practice, done the homework, even if mistakes happen, nobody's going to fault you for that. Everybody's human. But if you can show up knowing your book, ready to go and, you know, even everybody has bad days too, but show up just ready to do that and ready to be pleasant to the people around you and to make it a good working environment, then my life is super easy on the podium because I don't have to worry about anybody in the pit. I don't have to worry about any of the musicians or there being problems. I can focus on making the show sound good. I can focus on conducting and playing and the actors and keeping them happy and what they need. Um, And if my musicians are happy, then usually I'm happy. One, be there doing what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. Two, if there's a problem or a question, communicate with the appropriate person at the appropriate time. Three, take any notes that are given and incorporate them into your performance as soon as possible. That's it. And I think that's also true of actors on stage. Uh, It's true for everybody. Do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it and deal with things appropriately. That's it. What can musicians do to make the MD's job easier? Um, Paying attention. It sounds so stupid and I, I, I you can't see my face but I said that with a like an inquisitive like I don't really know actually <laughs> kind of face but um the first thing that came to mind was uh paying attention um I've done shows I've done a couple of shows where I myself wasn't really paying attention during a certain part I was kind of on autopilot and I missed something or I went ahead and, you know, I wasn't supposed to be in a vamp, but I just kind of ended up in a vamp somewhere. Um, paying attention doesn't mean you're always looking at the conductor. Paying attention kind of means, you know, you're aware of what's going on. You're listening to what's happening. Uh, you're using your ears. You're using whatever, you know, music, you know, theory, knowledge, whatever you have. You know, you're using your 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 brain as a musician so that I don't have to, you know, I don't have to think about that in addition for you. You know, I don't have to say, all right, here's bar this all the time, you know, or like, you know, like fix everything when it did when it didn't need to be fixed. I think another thing, just preparedness is um, really, really helpful. Uh, preparedness and like as much knowledge as you can give about your instrument to any music director is just going to make the job that much easier. And it's going to make it sound that much greater as, as well. Um, I'm kind of a gear freak. Like I, I love gear. I kind of like, that was a thing in high school that I got into. And uh, every time I did a show, um, I was usually called in as a string specialist as someone who would just like, do all the string books and maybe some of the keyboard too and the guitar book or maybe just the bass book or stuff like that. And I would have, you know, a good amount of gear that I would have access to. So they might say, hey, we're doing Miss Saigon and we don't have enough money to pay for an entire string section, you know, the entire quartet and the keyboard too. Can we figure something out? And then I would go in and say, well, we can do this. I can do this. And I can add this instrument on top here and do that. It helps, especially being a drummer or a percussionist. Like, oh, we need a wind gong. What's something that we can use instead of a wind gong? You just play like a China cymbal or something like that. 
And additionally, if the director's like, you know, it's it needs it needs you know more oomph than you especially you as a drummer, you can say, oh, I know what I can do. And you might you know pull out a floor tom, or you might you know you know hit the kick drum a little harder or something like that. Uh, you know that all of that you know preparedness, readiness, knowledge, you know just overall music knowledge will really help uh, for you know whatever production you're doing. And that concludes uh, the first volume of this Ask the Director series. And uh, I'm not sure when the next one will come out, but it will either be uh, just before or just after New Year's, uh, early in the week, not on the usual Friday date. Uh, If you you enjoyed these, and uh, if you have a question that we don't end up answering in the next four segments, feel free to uh, go to my website, davidlanemusic.com slash contact where you can reach out to me and, uh, and let me know. And also, if you are a music director and would like to answer some of these questions as they come in, I would love for this to be an ongoing series. Um, and ask, ask away. You don't have to be a pit musician. You can just be someone who's gone to the theater and seen a show, wondering what's going on. Hopefully we'll answer some of your questions through the course of these interviews, but it may be hard to know which interview to go to find that answer. So uh, you can refer back to these. So again, part two of the series will be the next episode that comes out within the next week or two. Uh, But it'll be uh, January 8th on the first Friday after New Year's Day that we resume with the regular format of the series where I have a conversation with a guest. So like many of you, I'm pretty much on a holiday break myself. And I look forward, I've got a Uh, A lot of guests lined up for the first part of next year. And uh, still accepting guests after that. If you were a pit musician, you have an experience you want to share. Um, I'm always looking for uh, people I haven't met uh, that would like to uh, talk with me. So please let me know through Instagram or through my website if you'd like to participate. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next... Be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music or Twitter and Facebook at David M. Lane Music. And as always, a very special thank you to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction of this podcast. The theme music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about this podcast or leave feedback through davidlanemusic.com slash podcast. Please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.